Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. In this episode, we're joined by Christer Bingson, founder and publisher of Star Wine List. With the strategy focused on long-term sustainable growth, Christer and his team eschewed the move fast and break things, a startup approach, in favor of consistent value, measured launches, and relationship building. We're here to talk about how this direction carried them through a pandemic, despite being all about wine lists, how his background in journalism paved the way for good content, and how Star Wine List has carved a unique niche in the world of wine writing. Let's get into it. Good morning. Good morning on this blazingly hot European day. You're in France. I'm in Spain. The world is going up in flames around us. And I'm so glad that you could join me from your holiday. Welcome, Krista. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm in Bordeaux, and uh, thankfully the weather shifted a bit overnight. But yesterday, 42 degrees and uh, fires around. So, um, yeah, crazy times. Is uh, Are you out in the world and feeling like a palpable concern about this from your neighbors and just Bordeaux populace in general? Can they talk about anything else? It's it's uh, it's very palpable. It's, it's uh, been a huge fire out by the Dune de Pilar, the coast, and evacuations, and then one south in the south of Grave region around La Diras with forest fires. And uh, I was at uh, Chateau Aubay yesterday visiting there, and, and uh, yeah, of course, it's uh, scary. Yeah, it's it's petrifying. We interviewed the Porto Protocol team recently. Um, of course, they're doing a ton of work on it. You've got the IWCA. And then also you and I recently saw one another in person at a conference where, of course, climate change, but also just in general sustainability was key to the, the discussion topics. So, uh, you know, it's funny, I was just communicating with someone who's not in the wine world and trying to get people who do sort of similar marketing and communication work, not in wine to get them to understand that this is actually just survival for our industry. You know, this isn't like a happy, feel good. We're going to talk about sustainability. It's like, we're, we're really at risk um, is such a concern, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about Star Wine List. Thank you. Um, So so first, just for the benefit of everyone listening who hasn't had a chance to sit around and talk with you at conferences to understand exactly what Star Wine List is, can you kick it down a little bit of the history, what your purpose is, and then we're going to dive into some questions about building a wine tech platform. Great. Thank you. Yeah, Star Wine is, uh, is uh, quite simply a guide to great wine bars and wine restaurants. It's a website uh, and an app. And uh, the idea came uh, five or six years ago. My background is in wine and uh, communications. I'm a journalist originally. And um, I thought that, you know, there are so many restaurant guides in the world. Uh, Michelin, and 50 Best and Goemio and Zagat and everything. But when you're a wine lover, you often end up asking your friends, you know, hey, I'm going to Berlin or Brussels, and where can I go and drink wine? 
And I thought there's something missing there. So we're trying to build that uh, resource for wine lovers to find uh, great places to drink wine. So focusing on going out and drinking wine and to have wine professionals uh, share their favorite spots. So quite often sommeliers, sometimes wine writers and uh, probably more winemakers going out to the wine region saying, well, these are my favorite spots if you're coming to Berlin, you know, all the way from small natural wine bars to bistros and fine dining to be open and inclusive there and uh, build that network. So uh, we started five years ago in Stockholm and now we're in uh, 35 countries uh, with uh, 75 ambassadors wow. around the world. And uh, yeah, I think we're more than 2000 uh, recommendations now across uh, all continents. So it's, uh, it's fun. You know, it's so funny. I think about that because this is absolutely the conversation that we have in the wine world when we're going someplace and we normally say something like, okay, where do all the winemakers drink? You know, if you go to Auckland and you're like, where's the best place to go drink wine? In our case, and I'm very biased, it's always going to be Apero because it's the place that all the winemakers go drink. And when Jancis Robinson or Fiona Beckett come to Auckland, you know, that's the place that they go. And that's that level of credibility that I think, you know, we're not looking for, I don't want to say like you're everyday fabulous wine list, but we're actually looking for the in-depth fabulous wine list. Um, I've done the same thing here in Barcelona. Where do all the winemakers go drink? So you mentioned um, five years ago, you got started with this. Prior to Star Wine List, though, you were a journalist in Stockholm. How did that experience as a journalism with a love of wine actually change your decision-making when you were laying out a business plan or a content strategy for Star Wine List? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. I come from regular news, um, radio newspapers, and then online. And uh, and then went into more building uh, communication. Uh, I started a company that does media monitoring, uh, uh, business intelligence that's still going in the Nordic countries. And... Um, and wine was a passion that really got started and I was writing about wine as a freelancer and uh, doing that a lot and doing some business around wine as well. Um, but I think when I started this one, um, it was really to see it as a very long-term uh, thing. Uh, I don't want to call it a project because then you envisage an end, right? It's, uh, it's a long-term business. I think media has to grow quite organically. Uh, it takes time. If you look at the, the media brands that you use uh, every day, most of them are quite old. I mean, uh, you know, let's say Decanter, Michelin, uh, the news brands that you use, some are new and been able to break through, but uh, the ones who have the position usually keep them for a long time and they become relevant and they stay relevant, but it takes a really long time to build. So when we started, uh, you know, we said, this is going to take time. We want to do it organically. There are no super quick fixes. We want to move fast in terms of building a global network. But it's going to take like 10 years to build something uh, good, uh, we thought. And uh, now we're five years into it. And uh, yeah, we're, we're happy, but we're still, you know, just getting started. And I think the very long-term perspective is needed in, uh, in media, which... Um, Maybe it doesn't rhyme all, all the time with uh, like the tech startup -y world uh, out there with the quick you know rounds of financing and blowing huge amounts of money, which was popular until a few months ago. Uh, but I think media doesn't really uh, mix very well with that. So we're we're trying to build things uh, step by step. <laughs> 
that that's fascinating to me because one of the issues that we run into a lot is this, um, you know, bifurcation between valuable content and SEO driven content, you know, like writing great long form content, writing topical things, and then also going in and doing all of the various keyword research and strategies. And and I'm, I'm not going to say that they don't both have their place, but I know that as one of the people writing it, I don't enjoy that content mill kind of space. That's not what I want to spend my time doing. And I, I always feel like in wine, it's a hard enough industry to begin with that those of us working in it kind of need to love what we're doing. Did you ever have that moment where you and your stakeholders sat down and you were like, okay, how much does SEO and domain authority factor into what we're building? And we need to even carve off a portion of our work for that that sort of SEO search engine driven content? That's a great question. You know, we have had discussions, um, you know, structuring the website from the start. We started as a website and then built the app. Um, of course, we thought about how to do that in a you know, sensible way. And I think SEO is our main dra- driver of traffic and you know, word of mouth and uh, and links and uh, social, etc. But if you're searching for wine bars in Paris or in Singapore, we're going to rank pretty well for most people. So that's a huge uh, you know, uh, top of the funnel for us, but we don't, we don't produce, I think any content, uh, with SEO in mind, uh, on a regular basis, because we're building, uh, this, um, you know, website in the app and the resource and the guides and the content and counseling it being qualitative. And we see that we have a huge, you know, strength in the domain with so many incoming links from you know restaurants in new york and london and singapore etc that's you know we, we get a lot of incoming traffic from people who want to you know, get links or guest posts or whatever uh which you know it's not interesting uh for us but uh, i think we've we it was interesting we saw that uh, maybe half you know like two and a half years ago or something two three years ago when Google, of course, starting out is putting you in a, in a geographical folder, right? Saying, okay, this is useful for someone in the Nordics. So they always show Nordic, you know, people results. And we saw that suddenly we were breaking out of that mold and getting ranked in, you know, in Paris and in Singapore, et cetera. So somewhere along the way there, it was ranked as a global resource. Um, and um, yeah. But some sometimes I think we should consider the SO angles more. Uh, but um, yeah, we're we're not doing very much to be honest. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please, this is not judgment. It's more just yeah. curiosity for me, and I get asked about it yeah. all the time. Um, and it and it's good to see. I mean, obviously, that you have a long term plan is is a factor in those decisions, um, which I actually love because I have looked at the, not just the, the startup space, but even just the internet in general as being unfortunately deceptive or misrepresentative to how hard or easy it is to build a brand. You know, you, people are like, oh, I can go and I can buy a domain name and I can throw up a Squarespace site. And the next thing you know, I'm going to be making millions of dollars. And, and that's just so not 
equal to what it takes to build an online business. So the fact that you do have this long-term plan is one of the things that I want to talk about. So you started five years ago and smack dab in the middle of that, we get hit by a pandemic. So you're a, a wine list provider. How did you transition? How are you seeing that go back? Just, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on COVID because I know it's terrible for all of us, but I'd love to know the journey that led you to where you are today. When we started, uh, that was 2017, went live. Uh, the economy had been growing for you know, eight years from the, the bust, right? So we knew that we, there was going to come a recession and you have to be reasonable and you need to be able to build through that. You don't know when it's going to be. You certainly didn't think it's going to be a pandemic. Uh, but, you know, we've been building a very you know, bootstrapped way and uh, uh, organic and keeping costs and control. And, um, you know, you have to because otherwise you just burn a ton of money, right, building things. And uh, the pandemic hit and since we are focused on wine and restaurants and wine bars the on trade and our audience is very you know close to this and the sommelier community is very close to us of course it was a huge hit in country after country and you know when some countries were coming back from it from uh, from wave others were hit so it was uh it was terrible for a lot of people i mean it was uh you know people were sick dying businesses were closing countries sure. were closing and um yeah you know we were it was just about hanging in there we were you know we weren't at risk health wise and we were planning to do it long term so we didn't go bust because we had too many costs or too few revenues around it and in fact we just kept kept building the network in the countries that were open we kept growing opening new cities and regions and countries and traffic kept growing uh, so we were very lucky in coming out of it, you know, fine. So, so you didn't that. have a drastic change of direction. There was no pivot, you know, okay. It, it was just slow and steady. We're going to stay safe. We're going to work, work our way through this. Right. Then we come out of it right now. And I'm, I'm especially curious about some of the bigger markets. What are you seeing in terms of adoption of your platform as a marketing arm for hospitality? Because I mean, hospitality has been so hard hit. Are people just like completely grasping for ways to get their name out there or are they pulling back still? Yeah, I can, I can perhaps take a moment to explain the, the business. Um, so, you know, we're a guide. We don't charge restaurants to be listed. We chose the ones we like, the, the, our, our ambassadors like. So, uh, we don't charge for anything from from that audience, and um, our business model is a media company. So you need a few legs to stand on. One is advertising in the form of sponsored content and articles. Uh, we don't actually don't have any pure ad spots yet. We will introduce them because we have demand, but uh, we've chosen to build stories around customers, brands, etc. The second part is our uh, awards events, Star Wars of the Year. Uh, where we do in more and more countries and we have sponsors and partners for that, such as the Austrian Wine Marketing Board has been a great partner from the start and highlighting, you know, great winists and the teams behind them in, in several countries. And the third part is we started a subscription uh, membership. And uh, the thing that you get there, which is not in the free versions, is that you can actually search for wine and see where it's listed. So because we now have more than 1,600 winists uh, updated from top restaurants around the world, 
Uh, it's become a bit of a trade tool as well. If you're a sommelier in Copenhagen, you're thinking about listing new wine, uh, you're going to check on Strawman and say, yeah, who else in Copenhagen is listing this and benchmark your price a little bit and get inspiration from other cities. So it's it's uh, it's one part, uh, you know, a guide and a tool. And a lot of uh, the, the marketing um, customers and partners that we use have um, is very much about reaching a premium audience in the top some years and uh, getting connections there um, and other wine lovers and, uh, and um, the networking, really. And uh, that's been, yeah, coming out of the pandemic, which is Tade Cool. Uh, with a big uh, champagne brand just before this one uh, discussing about uh, reaching out to certain audiences and uh, yeah we see it's 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 pretty much word of mouth there as well uh, people talk about it and see and a lot of incoming from our newsletter uh, that people are reading and say hey we want to be a part of this so it's uh, it's gratifying a lot of it has been you out pounding the beat getting to know people, building relationships within within the wine world. You started out in Stockholm, which I think is kind of fascinating from a wine perspective, because obviously places that build wine, you know, products, they start in France or they start in Napa, you know, they, they, they start with these big markets. Um, did that give you an opportunity to work and refine and test what you're rolling out with, you know, sort of in smaller markets before you go out to the great big wide world. What was that that growth process like? Yeah, we started in Stockholm because it's our, it's our hometown. We had all the connections and um, and um, it was close to home. And then step-by-step step, building the network through people we knew that, okay, well, this person, for instance, Avid Rosengren is, uh, you know, best assembly of the world 2016 and a friend and he also a partner in the company. So he was based in, in New York. So he built the New York guide and spread the word around that. And uh, following the network, and not only me, but the other people involved, ambassadors, etc. But um, yeah, I think it's it's no matter what you build, you need to be in some kind of iteration. That you know, okay, what's working, what's not. Um, even though we have you know, a very long term idea of what's valuable, even if yeah, uh, you know, that's kind of the core. But then you try things along the way and see, well, how how's it going to be phrased and uh, selections and. Uh, and uh, how everything is used. What does that decision-making process look like for Star Wine List, given the long-term, um, you know, perspective of it? Is you and the stakeholders sitting around a boardroom together? Is it trying things and testing them? Like, you know, how does that work? And I actually ask this for the benefit of a lot of people within both the wine and the non-wine world who simply maybe don't have a system for how to grow and iterate? That's a good question. I, I think for our part, for instance, when it comes to selecting uh, people wondering, okay, how, how do you select the country, cities, markets you go to? Uh, we've for a long time had sort of a top list of um, cities, countries, and regions that are priorities, such as Barcelona, where you are, because it's a huge destination and great place to go and drink wine. Uh, so we wanted to get that done uh, really well. We have Ferran Santelis, who's the top sommelier, formerly of El Luis, done the selection for us there. It's amazing. And uh, and so one part has been strategy, following the, you know, like that roadmap on a long schedule. 
and one part uh, opportunism. So, for instance, we had a great sommelier in uh, Mexico City who got in touch and say, hey, this is amazing. Can I help build the, the guide to Mexico City? And we didn't really plan to do Mexico City anytime soon, but uh, we had, you know, it was a great uh Cesar uh, Gaduño, who was uh, in Mexico City then, now he's actually in Iceland working for DIL, and he's our ambassador there. Done the selection in both Mexico City and uh, Reykjavik. Uh, so one part strategy, one part uh, opportunism to see, okay, this is opening up and there's demand for this, so let's follow it. Um, one part is, which is super hard, of course, saying no to a lot of good ideas uh, because you have limited resources, especially if you're a small team and there are so many people who want to collaborate and the team has great ideas and you have ideas and you think, wow, that'd be amazing. But you just have to learn that, okay, we're going to say no to a lot of great things to try and keep focused to not be spreading too much. Is there anything you said no to that you kicked yourself for afterwards? Like three months down the line, you're like, ah, we should have said yes to that. Not yet. Probably because I don't have a good memory for it. (laughs) I'm trying to forget about those. But that, that one's really hard, no matter what you do, I think. What's interesting to me, though, is that what you're building actually helps brands say yes and no. That was a nice segue, wasn't it? Um, and, and so you came from media with insights. And now you're building a platform that actually has the opportunity to provide those kind of business insights if you chose to. Is that sort of data reporting on the roadmap for Starwine List? It's not a priority. Uh, you know, we get, we get that question. Um, we've had that question a lot in the years. So, well, you can build this and that, and you can amaze the system. You create wireless uh, apps for restaurants, and you can get tied into the point of sale system, and you can have an amazing data platform, et cetera. But um, we've always, or I've always, um, I've declined those ideas because I don't want to be a SaaS company for data that's not my dream right we want to build a great uh, guide for wine lovers both amateurs and professionals and be a platform in the wine world but not go deep into uh you know the platform data SaaS tech part of the world so we're we're touching upon it um we're using some of it and we can probably going to use it more for insights as you mentioned um but right now it's more of a qualitative path Interesting, because I'm thinking for myself, right, how I would use that. Like, there's so many questions that as, you know, a marketing agency, I'd be saying, ooh, what can we learn from this? And how do we actually have to track it if that's not something that you guys are doing? We've done, you know, we've done reports for, for instance, for champagne brands, uh, you know, which which are their market shares in wireless in Sweden, etc. More on one-off projects. and. I think your question is a relevant one. I'm sure we're going to do more of that, uh, following following demand a bit more of it, and so we're not, uh, you know, going deep on uh, the tech data and uh, for in itself. I want to go back into your career as a journalist. Have you continued to sort of watch the progression of wine writing in the past, you know, say five to seven, ten years? Yeah, I think it's impossible to switch off. I mean, I, I consume news on uh, unhealthy volumes, right, in all kinds of, from all sources and subscribe to a crazy amount of news uh, media. And it's just impossible to turn off and thinking about how 
how that's been worked in newsrooms. Um, when it comes to wine writing, yeah, I think of course it's it's become so much focused on the social and influencer content, and uh, I think it's interesting to see all the development that's been there with uh, you know different uh, waves of uh, interest in it and critique against it, and uh, and um, yeah, I, it's just interesting to follow. So when you're when you're looking for the ambassadors or the wine writers, I guess this does tie into exactly what you're building. What is the criteria that you are applying to find the right people? Or is it just that you like them and you like working with them? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, what we want to find uh, in, in a new city or country is someone who's very well acquainted with all the great places to go drink wine. So it's someone who go out goes out to wine bars and restaurants. It's not not just someone who studies for, you know, MW and never goes out of the room, you know, from the perfect at wine and books, but not the restaurant world. Um, and it's someone who is respected and, uh, you know, has credibility. Uh, it's great if they also can write well, but it's not a super mandatory. If you're, you know, if you're a sommelier, we can work edits on the work on the edits. And, um, yeah, and if they also have, you know, a following and uh, social, that's a bonus. It's not, it's not super important quality, um, integrity and be able to be able, you know, be part of the team and, uh, and add, add to it. That's the core. What about the, the criteria around, say, voice of education versus entertainment? Because heaven knows we talk about this all the time in wine. What is our purpose? How do we onboard people? How do we make them love us? Is it through filling their heads with more knowledge or is it through giving them an entertaining moment? Um, is that a decision that you make? Is it part of a style guide or is it on a contributor case by case basis? How does that work? Yeah, I think we're perhaps without even uh, deciding it, we're more on the entertainment part. Uh, you know, it's if you want to find a great place to go drink wine in Barcelona, we're going to tell you these are nice places. And uh, for every place, you know, what kind of place is it? Why do we love it? And what's the wine program like? Those are the three core questions we answer. And uh, we interview the ambassadors when we launch a new city about their career and their story. And uh, what's development in their country and city? And uh, I think that's especially interesting, you know, in countries and cities that are a bit off the international beaten track. So we love doing that for, you know, Bangkok and, uh, uh, you know, Warsaw and uh, and uh, Dublin that we just launched and to hear what's happening there. And it's, you know, to be not as Eurocentric or, let's, you know, Anglo-centric in the world of wine to hear other people's stories. You know, if you're a female sommelier in Bangkok, you know, what's the, what's that like? Uh, so that's, Actually, uh, that leads to a great question. How are you handling things like multilingual content? Is that on a roadmap? Is there interest in it? English is the main language and you'll have to excuse us because, uh, you know, I'm Swedish, so it's my second language and their editors also that. So if you see an error, please send us an email and we'll fix it. Uh, we also have content in Swedish because it's our, first market and some in French as well, just to test it out. So we actually have, you know, Paris one guide in, in French. Uh, so um, I think that's enough for now. We've been thinking about it for other countries, but I think English makes sense to, you know, give accessibility for it. Um, one thing that's been interesting 
has been to learn more about the German-speaking wine world uh, when we launched in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, because um, it's quite a coherent and very cohesive community. I mean, it's very there's a huge wine media and uh, communities around winemakers and sommeliers and everybody in these countries, but it's all in German. So if you don't know German, you don't really know that much. Uh, and that's one thing that's been interesting to get to know the people and tell the stories and show what's happening in English so that the rest of us can see what's going on. You and I are of an age, you know, when I don't know about you, but I was forced to learn to diagram sentences. You know, like I, I had to actually write properly. I talked to a lot of my friends who are writers and editors and they're in the same space. And sometimes we just look at the world around us, even as communicators, and we're like, please write coherently, have a good structure, you take us on a path, you know, um, just privately, is this the kind of thing that you sit back and you look at, at lifestyle writing and you're like, oh my God, what's happened? I, I, not that much, to be honest. I, or are we archaic? Yeah, I, I think, well, to be honest, I think there's more problems with stories that are, you know, too generic and uh, too, too too formulaic in the old, what's called, you know, classical styles. And the story is simply not interesting enough. You know, if, uh, you know, what's what's the surprise there? And I, yeah, probably find it more interesting if you're, you know, lacking in style, but it's a new fresh angle and uh, something that is surprising you. And, and uh, surely you see this where you are having to do research for the purpose of some copy and you're like, oh, my God, this particular brand story is just so boringly traditional. You know, do you reach out to them? What do you do in that? Do you say, hey, we're featuring you. We're telling your story. Can you help us out? How can we just liven this up a little bit? Because we hear this all the time, right, from wine reviewers and, and wine writers that were like, oh, my God, it's another hands with grapes picture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when we work, tell the stories of brands and partners, uh, yeah, we definitely uh, start from scratch. And uh, we we tell them that, well, you're please send us your marketing material, but we're not going to use any of it uh, because it's probably been going through too many, you know, committees and uh, it's just not. That's the stuff that people filter out immediately when you see it. And uh, then we start from scratch and look at it. Okay, what's the story here that would be interesting to our audience? And try and find a hook and an angle and something that uh, you know resonates. And we start from scratch and we tell the story. Of course, sometimes it follows a launch or so you have to tell the, the, the news angle that this is happening. But there's usually other stories to be uh, told that give a bit of spice and edge. And uh, Do you ever get any pushback? Yeah, it happens, especially with interviews. You know, you've done an interview and maybe the, the winemaker or some person has said something really interesting, probably said too much. And that's the stuff you want to keep. And that's usually what someone wants to take away because, you know, it was uh, you know, perhaps a bit too edgy or giving away something or criticizing someone else and giving me a contrast. So uh, it, it happens. But generally, not much. Uh, usually... You know, smart marketers are happy to, um, you know, get different angles and stories told and um, move out of the box as well. Because, I mean, yeah, because the marketers are, well, to be honest, they're probably a bit tired of seeing the, the old material as well, right? It's, uh, it's just too bland, usually. 
any interest in moving beyond the written word as content? You know, would you be looking at video production, YouTube, something even along the lines of what 67 Palm Mall is doing with 67 Palm Mall TV? Is that on the roadmap? Not right now, and that's also a bit to the focus uh, discussion. So we have, you know, three focus areas. One is building the guide uh, to cover the world, <laughs> uh, and the second part is the yeah, and the second part is building the uh, events and the awards. Star once of the year to more and more countries. So we're going to South Africa in October. It's going to be very exciting with a cooperation with the Sommelier Association there. How many of those do you do per year? So we do them nationally. So for the last uh, last international tour, we did in seven countries, uh, Australia, Austria, UK, and the Nordics. And then we had an international final in uh, in London in June, where teams from all over came in and we uh, we put the, the wine list against each other. And we have an international uh, Sommelier panel, so the jury is very respected and uh, it's it's become a uh, format and events itself that's been really appreciated and we have partners for you know presenting the best sourcing wine list or uh, best sparkling wine list uh, for instance we had night timber for the international final and it's just a great networking opportunity and getting some years and people together in the room and uh, and having your wine list seen and evaluated by you know pascal Peltier and uh Arvid Rosengren and Rajpar, etc. That's just a huge thing for for the teams, and it's um, yeah, we've been very lucky in, in in that. So that's the second part we're building, and the third part is the premium membership subscription. That's putting more things into that and uh, and building that out. So for right now, no um, podcasts uh, or video, just to keep focused um, on like the the web and the app. Are all of your team members, ambassadors, are they all certified SOMs? Because this is an interesting dynamic that we see that's probably more generational than anything else, is that we've got people who are fabulous sommeliers, but weren't a part of a, um, you know, like a, a formal education master SOM uh, certification. I think uh, we haven't really looked at it. A lot of them are, uh, but we don't really look into it that so it's much not a uh, no it's not and um you know um, actually i think most are uh have certificates of training of some kind and I'm, I'm the black sheep because i'm you know i'm a journalist i'm not the sommelier so i'm the only one that's not qualified to good. Uh, to work it keeps you honest <laughs> sometimes uh you know the the staffing issues are so hard that sometimes you know even i get a question hey can you do a shift and i'm like no i'm like i'm not a sommelier uh my only you're like come on i'll do it let's go we'll see how it works. my only background in restaurants is as a dishwasher so i tell them if you need help there i could give you a hand but not the front of the house i want to ask for all of that knowledge or as much as you're willing to share about what makes a great wine list what have you learned in five years about the markers for an absolutely rocking wine list oh that's the the, the million dollar question uh, and uh, I can always be for myself, you know, we get different thoughts from the different jury members, etc. But I, I, what I like to see when I, I see uh, a list, personally, it's that uh, there are wines that I recognize, you know, they're like markers of great wines. So I think this is qualitative. And uh, if you're in a wine producing country, you should, you know, should be local wines, right? And, and great uh, wines from the country, which is not always obvious. And uh, mm -hmm. but also a lot of wines that I don't know that there are you know, 
so you can learn. It's not just the famous brands from all over and pack uh, vintages and verticals with this and that. So it becomes an opportunity to really, you know, feel comfortable with a few choices if you want that. Um, but also explore and learn, discuss with the team and say, hey, you know, what what's this? Or if you're in a wine country, that, you know, what, what are these things? And what's the thing to try? I love older wines uh, and immature wines in general. So if there are a few older vintages, uh, I'm very happy. And uh, of course, if you have some good value as well, that's uh, that's a bonus. Are there just are there just no nos? Are there things that you're like? Can all of you please stop doing blank? You know, whether it's like you get these wine lists that are like tomes and you just get there. And as a consumer, even someone who works in the wine industry, for me, that's probably the one that I'm like, please just stop. You know, are there the things that you would say, please just stop? Well, it's, I think you, you can have that, but what we do when we list a restaurant or a wine bar, we, uh, you know, we ask them to share some photos and, you know, show the team, et cetera. But also ask for the wine list. Um, you know, if it's not on the website, we ask, you know, do you share the wine list? And it's a bit of a culture thing. If you're in uh, like Northern Europe, US, UK, it's standard, right, to share the wine list. Uh, whereas, say, the more south you go in Europe, the less standard it is. You know, in France, it's rare. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, why? I understand if it's uh, trouble keeping it updated, but you people know that not everything can be updated all the time, right? So. And when we show the wine list on store wine, you actually have a date stamp saying, well, this was updated, you know, May 11th. So you know that things may have changed. Um, so I think if you have a large wine list, you know, share it with us or on your website so people can browse ahead. If you're a wine lover, you love checking the wine list before. So you don't spend 30 minutes uh, reading it while your guest is getting bored and, you know, you're killing the ambience. Is it the kind of thing that when you are assessing you know, and when you're ambassadors, when you're writers are assessing it, it's not just the wine list. It's that, you know, the service is great. The hospitality is there. It's warm. It's inviting. Absolutely. I mean, for the wine list awards, it's the wine list that counts. But for the being listed on Star Wine List, that's a recommendation. Then the wine list is just one part of it. So you can have, you know, a small wine bar with just a few wines written on the wall. And you still love it. Like we have Cap Team in, in Paris listed and they don't have the wine list. And then you have bistros and fine dining. And uh, yeah, service is a huge part. Uh, it's difficult now, especially after the pandemic with uh, the staffing shortage. So some people, use, some places you love, if you come in on a night when none of the you know regular staff are there and you have some new, uh, it's not a great, uh, you're like thinking, well, this, this was not great, but we're trying, you know, we're a bit, um, you know, given the benefits of the doubt there, especially after the pandemic, that maybe, you know, it, it's hard to get. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's places. a good lesson. I'm, I'm glad that you said that. I think that's a good lesson is that all of us as patrons do need to be a little bit more lenient and a little bit more forgiving in our judgments around what it's taking to keep our hospital, our favorite hospital spaces open. Yeah. Cause it's been hard for all of them. And I'm so glad that you said that. I, I just, I'm glad that we're able to bring that up. You have, you have to be a good guest. I mean, if, if you're, a, especially now to the pandemic, everybody's so happy to to travel and to go out in restaurants, et cetera. It's, we used to take all of that for granted. And now you realize how important it was. But don't spoil it by being a dick when you go as a guest and, you know, demand 
things and they're understaffed and stuff like that, you know, be nice. So to bookend our conversation, how much do your wine list now or possibly in the future take into account issues of sustainable production, shipping, packaging? Is this the kind of thing that you are in some form or fashion benchmarking as you make these judgments and awards? Thank you for the time to question. We just announced a few days ago that we're launching our new tour starting in Denmark in August uh, with our new national events. And we're going to do like South Africa and even more countries. Uh, we've just added a sustainable wine list uh, category to it. So uh, that's where the jury has to evaluate the wine programs and ambitions of, of the of the songs of the teams uh, and taking all those factors into account in you know, production uh, winery packaging and transport and uh, we've had discussions around it for the last year and uh, you and I were at the symposium in Bordeaux and discussions around it and we said okay now with the new tour starting it's, uh, it's the time to get it going so it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what people are doing there and uh, highlighting the best practices and learn really from you know great places around the world and how can we follow that how can we learn about that too Check it out on uh, on starwines.com and uh, subscribe to the newsletter. I think that's the best thing. It's a free newsletter. You, of course, you can so follow on social media, etc. But uh, email newsletter is, uh, is the best. So starwinelist.com. So website, newsletter, starwinelist.com. Thank you so much. So um, if I am, let's just kind of break it down for everyone. If I'm a consumer who wants to find the best places to go, I've got the app and I've got the website. If I am a producer... And I want to know more about engaging with the brand or maybe leveraging some of your talents for my benefit. How would I do that? Uh, you can, yeah, follow the links in the footer of the website to uh, to uh, how to work with us as a business or just reach out through the email addresses, info at starwinds.com or Krister, which is K-R-I-S-T-E-R at starwinds.com or we can put it maybe in the notes from the podcast. So. Yeah, we'll put it in touch. the notes, and that's the same if I'm a wine bar, or I want to be an ambassador or a writer, or can I pitch to you? For if you're a wine bar and restaurant who want to be listed, we actually have a link in the in the bottom of the website how to be listed, because that's quite a big flow. So we're you're getting into a form of that, and we're putting you on the the list to be evaluated eventually. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you so much. I will let you go. And now enjoy your family holiday. I appreciate the time and I hope that your air conditioning continues to work for the rest of the week. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening and a very big thank you to Krista for joining me today. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. Hi 
guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.